One Hope Church. Did it work? Is that how we're good? <laughs> All right. Good morning. Hopefully everybody's doing well today. I could be doing better, but that's all right. We all have those days, right? This morning we'll be turning to Matthew 23, um, and I get the, uh, the pleasure of reading to you some of the harshest words Jesus is, speaks in the New Testament. Uh, he's got some pretty tough things to say today, um, all di- mostly directed, or all directed at the Pharisees, but I think we can still have, there's still a lot to learn for us in this passage as well. Um, so this morning I have a, just a quick question for everybody. Um, raise your hand if you identify as a Pharisee. Does anybody identify as a Pharisee? Peter does. So Zach does. <laughs> There's a few. And, the, and you know, the interesting thing is, you know, most people, we're not going to raise our hands to identify as a Pharisee because we know that they are considered hypocrites in the New Testament. Um, and if Jesus stood before the Pharisees in the New Testament, which he does right here and says... Raise your hand if you're a hypocrite. The Pharisees aren't going to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. You know, No one wants to be a hypocrite, but the truth and the reality is that in some way we are all hypocrites. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is that even if we don't identify as a hypocrite or as a Pharisee, um, there are always things in our lives that are um, maybe things that we don't know or maybe things that we're ignoring that are keeping us from the truth, that are distorting our faith, that are in some way preventing us from having a better relationship with Christ. So in some way, we are all hypocrites. Um, you know, whether or not it is something that you recognize or something that you don't recognize, in some way, we all have a play. Uh, there's always areas that we can grow and improve, and there are areas that, you know, we maybe through cultural influences or through our parents and how we were raised or through our worldviews, you know, our view of God and His relationship and His love for us um, and His Word may be distorted in some way. So this morning, I just asked that we would look inward and be very introspective, even though Jesus here is being very harsh to the Pharisees um, and says some really difficult things to accept. Um, and, I, you know, I still think that this morning, um, let's take the time to look inward and pray and ask God to reveal those things to us that are hindering us from having a better relationship with Him. Um, we need to look inward and, and ask that He to show us those things, and hopefully in a more gentle, loving, like more gentle way, not necessarily unloving, but more gentle way than, uh, than He does with the Pharisees, because the way He had addresses the Pharisees this morning is due to this extensive, deep, deep hypocrisy of motivation and and belief, um, you know, the Pharisees had a certain unique responsibility to share God's word and to bring people to know Him, and they ended up twisting it and using it for their own edification. So, um, you know, for us this morning, let's pray that God reveals these hypocritical habits or things that we have to improve in our life, need to improve in our lives early on, so that they don't build into something so significant that they need such kind of correction. Okay. Um, so just a quick note about the word hypocrite. I thought this was interesting, just to help us better understand what it means to be a hypocrite. Um, the Greek word for it origi- originated for an actor, for somebody who would act in a play. So somebody who would basically read a story or be trying to act out a story on a stage. So that's kind of what the word hypocrite um, originated as. Um, but it ended up turning into a term, um, a negative term, used for someone who pretends or misinterprets truth and then subsequently plays a part 
which is contrary to the reality. Okay, so um, in this case that we'll be reading about this morning, the Jewish leaders misinterpreted the truth of Scripture, of God's law, and ended up playing a part that seemed like they were properly interpreting the law when in reality they were not. Um, so they were playing a false part. They were playing, acting as if they were God's authority, they were in the right, and in reality they were not. Um, so this morning before we read, I want to go ahead and just um, open with prayer and ask God to, to do those things for us this morning, to reveal the things we need Him to So. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Um, we thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness to us, um, your great love. And um, Lord, I thank you so much for um, that you love us so much that you came and died on the cross for us and that you even uh, reprimanded those who were to instruct us in the truth, but we're not doing so correctly. Um, maybe not, obviously, in our time, but we thank you so much um, that you care about us enough to come and, and suffer um, for us. And so... Lord, we owe all to you. Um, we owe our lives, our hearts, and our souls to you, and everything that we do should be bent and turned towards you. So, God, this morning we pray that every thought that we have, every motive that we have, every deed that we do um, would all be out of a pure heart and love for you, um, that you would reveal anything within us that hinders us from knowing you better, um, that hinders our relationship with you, God, that you would reveal that to us and that you would help us change it, help us to correct it, Lord. It's only your, by your power and your strength and your kindness and grace that we can do such things um, in de- complete dependence on you. So, God, we pray for that this morning. Um, we pray that you'd reveal to us um, in, a, in a kind manner um, things to improve so that they don't grow to such an extent that we need a harsh correction. Um, God, we love you and we praise you. Um, we do ask that if we do need a harsh correction, that you know <laughs> we'd be able to receive that and not ignore it um, and resist it. God, we love you. We praise you. Um, be with us this morning and teach us through your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to read the first few verses here. I'm going to read 1 through 12 before we get to um, the rest of this section because we're going to look at all of Matthew 23 today. Um, so verse 1 says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to, to his disciples, the teachers of the law, he says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ, The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So looking at the first few verses, I kind of broke this up into two sections. Um, When Jesus here talks about the chair of Moses, um, he's referring to the responsibility and the authority the religious leaders had in teaching the law. Um, I think they did end up in the early first centuries, they started to actually have a physical seat. They called the seat of Moses, but 
Um, what Jesus is really referring to here is just their responsibility, the Pharisees and the religious leaders' responsibilities to share the gospel. I mean, they were given that authority by the Mosaic Law um, in the early Old Testament. So um, they had a responsibility. And so that's why you know, that kind of position does require attention. I mean, they have a, a certain positional, like what I call, I call positional authority, um, where they are to, I mean, they have a responsibility to teach and people have a responsibility to listen and pay them a, a, attention simply because of their positional authority. Um, I mean, you know, we may not all like the President of the United States, but if he gives a command, I mean, he has positional authority above us to, to give a command. You know, of course, as long as it's not a, against Jesus' law. Um, same like your boss at work. You may not like your boss, but if your boss gives you an order, gives you a job to do, and it's within, you know, and you're not sinning doing it, you're going to do that, that order because they have a certain positional authority, even if you disagree with it. Um, so there is a certain authority that they have. And so Jesus is telling his disciples and those following him to make sure you obey those things that are truthful teachings. He's not saying go and obey the things that the Pharisees are saying that are completely wrong. Um, but he is saying, you know, they have a certain authority, so listen to what they say, um, but don't do what they do. Don't have the same intentions or the same motives. Um, so you can also see in verse 2, um, between 2 and 7, he talks about the oppression of the Pharisees, so uh, the, the Pharisees tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to to move them. So their intent there to, um, I guess, uh, to oppress people, to create these difficult challenges, difficult teachings, difficult traditions to follow, um, and to not necessarily follow them themselves, is really to elevate themselves. You know, they be, are standing on the backs of other people to elevate themselves and say, oh yeah, you guys have to do all this, but we're above that. We're not that. We're not at your level. We're at a different stage, so we don't have to do those kinds of things. Um, and that's kind of part of their intent, was to self-glorify themselves. Um, the Pharisees were um, intent on making themselves look good, making themselves in the eyes of the people seem holy and pure and pious. Uh, and that was their attempt here, was to stand above everybody else. Um, talks about their uh, phylacteries and tassels. So a phylactery, if we're not aware of what that is, it's basically what they used them for. Where it's a small box that contains several Old Testament scriptures. Um, it was basically used, they're, they're there for, um, for the Jews to remember um, certain scriptures that Jesus said, um, really pivotal scriptures. Um, and they were worn on an arm and on the forehead. So they're really small box typically, supposed to be really small boxes with these scriptures and scrolls in it. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about those because I, I thought this was really interesting. So three of the scriptures that I know were in them um, were the first one's Exodus 13, 2 through 16, which is really just in a brief, really brief summary is a reminder of God's deliverance out of Egypt um, of the Israelites and how he established his scripture and his, his structure, um, the temple structure from the deliverance of Exodus, um, I mean of, of Egypt. Um, the next one is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which I'm going to turn to and read. Y'all don't have to, um, but I really like this portion. And uh, these all, they all tie in together. So, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 reads Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them uh, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So, I mean, that, I, just, I love that portion because it says talk about him, his commandments frequently, like at your table, at your house. Like this should be a normal conversation that you have with people is God's commandments. But he says literally to tie them on your, on your arm and on your head, and I think they took it very literally, and they literally did that. Um, the, uh, the irony was that the Pharisees didn't really focus on what was inside those boxes. They didn't really listen to those scriptures and obey those scriptures, what they ended up doing was making the box bigger. So people think that they're more pious, which is kind of silly in, in our terms. It, you know, um, They also took the, uh, the tassels there and made them longer just to appear. The tassels were to be worn on the four corners of a robe to you know, just to make them appear. Uh, and they, they made them longer to make them appear more holy and more pious. You know, I kind of equate it to like, what if, what if I came in here and I had, you know, they have those big family Bibles. And I just walked in with this huge Bible. Just, and it's like all worn and tattered and messed up because I've obviously been using it so much. You know, and I come and drop it right here and I open it up and I have to hold it on each end. You know what I mean? That's kind of like what I envision is this kind of almost this, this like um, outlandish display of piety. And if I came in here with this super worn and tattered Bible and I had it so big and I would hold it up when I read so that you guys could see that, man, I have been in my word. I have been reading the scriptures. You know, that's kind of the same thing here is that they made these phylacteries really large on their heads and on their arms and their tassels really long to show that, oh, I'm more holy than other people. I'm higher than other people. I'm better than other people. You know, look at me, look at what I've done. And their attention is to be drawn to them and not to God. You know, and they, uh, like I said, the, the scriptures that were supposed to be in those boxes, they lose the, the meaning because they clearly didn't even care what was in those boxes. They just made the boxes big um, to be seen. And the last part of, Deuteron- of the last scripture that would be into those boxes is Deuteron- Deuteronomy eleven thirteen through 21 which, again, says, imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands, and let them be as a symbol on your forehead. So I don't think God was intending them to have these things on their forehead physically and on their hands. You know, they are, they are though, meant to be what he says here. You know, bind them on your minds and on your hearts. You know, you are to know these scriptures. You are to, to love these scriptures, to hold these scriptures true to your heart, uh, so your intention is to, to love the scriptures and to be obedient to Christ, not to be necessarily, not for the outer boxes or the tassels to be an appearance of, uh, to man so that they can praise you more. Um, so, you know, that's just uh, one thing the Pharisees did to be noticed by man. And we, we should not do that as well. We should not, you know, you know again, the Bible example is kind of out, like a silly example, but in our own ways, we, you know, what is our motivation behind what we do in our lives? I mean, behind our jobs, not even just our jobs, but the things we tell people, the things we talk to people. Are they to build ourselves up and to make ourselves look good in front of people? I mean, we all want to have a good reputation. I mean, nobody wants to have a bad reputation, but um, where is the difference between your desire for a good reputation and your desire for a good witness and a good testimony? Um, so we need to keep those things in mind as we are 
living our daily lives. So um, my final note on these verses is the Pharisees sought the honor of man instead of the glorification of God. Um, They sought to elevate themselves above others as they are superior. And they took the authority given to them um, by their position and abused it for the sake of their own names. Um, they, uh, their focus turned from the edification of God to the edification of self. Um, and I'm sure we can all look in, in our lives and see people who try, you know, strive to edify themselves and to glorify themselves. Um, and honestly, a lot of times, since what I was trying to say at the beginning is it's easy to look at those people and say, wow, man, that's, that's terrible. Those people are awful. Those people are, that's not who I am. Um, but there are always things in our lives that we need to make sure we look at internally and say, okay, well, what areas of my life am I edifying myself instead of God? Um, so um, the next few verses is kind of cool because Jesus kind of changes everything as far as structure goes. Um, so, and I'll explain what I mean there. So let's, I'll read 8 through 12 one more time, just so uh, we have a little bit more reference. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you, you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So again, I want to talk a little bit more about like the positional authority and what I like to call um, authentic authority. Um, so positional authority is granted based on your position, like your job title, your you know, guest responsibility is kind of given to you by man in reality. Um, so again, I use the example of president, a boss, and even a preacher. Preachers have a sort of positional authority, and I'm not saying that's good, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but you know, even preachers have some sort of positional authority simply because they have the title of preacher. You know, people will listen to them more than others. Um, so Jesus changes that, and he's got, you know, Jesus has this authentic authority. You know, when Jesus came to earth, people followed him because of what he said and what he did. Like, because of his leadership ability, because of who he was, people followed him. And listened to him and did what he asked because of who he was. Um, so Jesus kind of tries, like when he when he changes a structure here to the church structure to the early church, which is what we try and model here. Um, he removes much of the positional authority um, because what ends up happening with positional authority is it can be abused for your own motives, for one's selfish motives. Um, so by removing positional authority, he creates less opportunity for those false motives and defects in his church and his body. Um, so he says here, um, you're only to have, there are no rabbis, but there's one teacher, the Messiah. So only Jesus is the real teacher. You know, so when I stand up here and I'm talking, you know, and, and Chet teaches and whoever teaches from here, it's not because I, we any have any more authority than you to stand up here and teach. I mean, goodness knows that I'm not the best teacher by any means. Um, but the truth of the matter is that Jesus, is, uh, Jesus has spoken these words, and they're all written down for us in Scripture. And so our goal up here is to teach what Jesus said. It's not to sit here and teach my own, you know, my own desires and my own philosophies and my own things, but to look at the Word and what Jesus said and say, this is what Jesus said. Um, you know, and that's hard for me a lot of times. You know, it's, that's hard to, to look at, and I'm no... You know, whenever I'm preparing for a message like this or something, God reveals a lot of things in my life, and I'm like, man, I don't know if I should be up here teaching this. So, you know, that's the, the truth of the matter is that we are 
all have the same authority in God's church. Um, so and that's all granted by the, the gospel here. Um, so Jesus also says we're all brothers. So he takes, like I said, he takes away this, what I'll call, I mean, I'll call it this, the, the preacher position, you know, the, the common Southern Baptist or whatever denomination, preacher, where they have a higher position and, you know, what they say goes and what they do is what's, what's right. And, um, I mean, we can see how significantly in America that church structure has failed time and time and time again because it puts so much authority, gives it so, so much authority to one person. Um, and then those motives of that one person become corrupt, and they start to, um, you know, a church doesn't last that way because the authority isn't to be with the man, it's to be with God, and we're supposed to teach what Jesus has for us. Um, So no one is higher than the other, Um, and we all have an equal responsibility to correct each other too. We all have an equal responsibility to exhort one another. You know, if we see a brother or sister struggling or, or uh, failing in a certain area, we all have a responsibility to talk to them, you know. Um, you know, our church structure, we have two elders. We have Chet and Derek, you know. It's not like if Derek's struggling, Chet's the only one who can go talk to him and say, hey, man, you need to get this together, or vice versa, you know what I mean? That's not the way the church structure is intended to be, that those two people, since they are the elders, are the only two that can, you know, one, make decisions for the church, and two, you know, correct each other. You know, if one of us sees Derek, or, you know, sorry, Derek, no. <laughs> but if one of us sees somebody struggling, we all have a responsibility to correct that person, um, regardless of whether or not they're an elder or a deacon or a, a church member, because um, we all have that same authority. Um, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all equally saved by God's grace. Um, we all have stumbled, we all fall, um, and we're all saved by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Um, that's not different for anybody. You know, anyone who's a believer, has, we've all had to come before God humbly and say, I'm a sinner. So, um, <laughs> um, so, like I said, we all have that responsibility. God also says there's only, or Jesus says here, there's only one Father, and we all worship and give honor to that one God, um, our one Father. So, He is the one who, who authority is given from and, and obtained from, and that's who... I mean, Jesus is one with the Father, so that's how Jesus has that authority. Um, no one else is to have that, that kind of authority. Um, Jesus says here, the, uh, or Jesus says in, the, in Scripture, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, that is like complete reverse of what the Pharisees are saying. I mean, that is like the complete opposite, because the Pharisees are trying to make these little boxes on their head bigger so that they seem more pious. You know, they're trying to make themselves seem better than everybody else by um, simply their position and their authority. So Jesus is saying that um, you have to humble yourself to really be exalted. Um, So our responsibility as believers is to humble ourselves in service. That's our responsibility. It is not to elevate ourselves above others. Um, A faith based on works means that there's a requirement to elevate yourself by... So... There's a difference between a faith based on works and, um, let me make sure I say this right, because this could get confusing. So, we don't want to have a faith, a works-based faith is what I'm trying to say. We don't want to have a works-based faith, um, which is an, an attempt to do things to elevate yourself. So, you basically try to elevate yourself by doing things. That's what a work-based faith, works-based faith is. Um, 
you know, your, your, yeah, right? your attempt um, in doing that, like your motive there is to do good things so that you can earn salvation or so that you can elevate yourself to a certain level of, I don't know, piety, righteousness, you know. Um, I mean, that is what a, ultimately what a works-based faith is for, is to, is, it's its belief is to, that you have to do those things to obtain a certain level of righteousness. Where the reality is a, a faith that is based in belief is displayed through humble acts of love, and those acts are to actually elevate others, not yourself. Your acts, and if you, if you truly are a believer and you live that way, your actions should bring others to the kingdom of God, not elevate yourself all the time. You know, and um, I wasn't here when the church did this, and um, I kind of wonder what I would have done. But I know the church at one point met in a bar downtown, and they, you know, had to clean toilets. You know, on after Saturday nights. You know, that's that's rough. So, you know, I wonder if I would have been one of those people to clean the toilets. I don't know. You know, I, I, I'd like to say yes, but. Uh, you know, you never know until you're in that situation. So that's a really cool example of, you know, that in no way edifies yourself. I mean, who wants to clean a toilet, especially from a bar? Um, so, you know, the, that's kind of an example of your faith because you, you're doing a work that doesn't edify you, but hopefully will bring attention to God, um, to, to Jesus, so that others come to know him. Um, you know, God says multiple times in Scripture, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, so humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves before God daily, um, constantly, because that's how we grow closer to God. Um, he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Um, so this is kind of what Jesus says to those who would elevate themselves. Okay, we're about to move to the next section, which I kind of wonder how he said this. And sometimes I, I told Michelle, I kind of want to read this how Jesus probably said it, but I don't want to lose my voice today. So um, I'm just going to read it. Read Scripture um, 13 through 36, um, and then we'll talk about each one briefly because um, they all have an overarching point of um, the, how the Pharisees live their lives. So, Verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those, enter, those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside 
They are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some tough words there. So we'll just go through um, a little bit section by section. I'm not going to spend too much time because we kind of, he kind of summarizes this all in the first few verses of this chapter. Um, but this is the extent of the Pharisees' self-righteousness. This is the extent of their sin. Um, and this is some harsh correction. So this is why I'm saying let's try and find the things. Let's make sure we ask God to reveal to us the things that we need correction before it gets to a point where we have to be corrected with such words. Um, you know, so verse, verse 13 through 15, um, God does not clearly take kindly to those who elevate themselves um, using his name. Um, because only God's name is worthy of glory. And if um, the Pharisees were using you know, the scriptures and the law that God had given them to elevate their own names. Um, so in doing so, they ended up hindering others from knowing Jesus. And that is in itself one of the gr- like greatest uh, tragedies of the Pharisees um, is that they hindered people from knowing Christ. Not only did they choose themselves to not know Christ or to uh, be disobedient, but they hindered others from doing so. Um, their false motives, verses 16 through 22, um, which he talks about um, swearing by the temple and, um, or swearing by the gold, and where, you know, if it's, people swear by the gold in the temple, um, then they are held bound by their oath, but if they swore just simply by the temple, then they weren't bound by it. Um, it, that's kind of a, a sign of corruption. I mean, the Pharisees, through their false motives, had intentions that were not pure, were not holy, um, were not in line with Scripture. And so, through that, they found loopholes in Scripture to obtain money and to, you know, if someone swore by money, they were held by it. But if they swore by the temple, then, you know, oh, they just they didn't really make a, a commitment because they didn't have money involved or something like that. So, um, 
It really displayed their corruption. And uh, verses 23 and 24, um, you know, that's, that's a pretty interesting verse because he talks about how they, they do tithe. They do follow part of the scripture, you know, and he, he says, you know, that you should do. And that's a, a part they did, and they did that religiously. Um, and he said that's, that's good, but they didn't do any of the other things. Um, their motive for that was false. So, you know, they focused and performed well a very small command compared to the overall command of Scripture of what Jesus has told them to do. Because um, in reality, you know, giving a tenth of your income is important, but compared to loving others and sharing the gospel and um, bringing others to Christ and healing or loving the sick and taking care of the poor and the needy, um, you know, that kind of becomes a smaller command. Um, he talks about outward cleanliness compared to inward cleanliness. You know, he talks about the dish and the, the cleaning the inside or the outside. You know, if the outside is clean and the inside's dirty, if it's up in your cabinet or something like that, it looks clean, right? And then you take it down and it's, it's nasty. So on first inspection, it's like, oh, everything looks great. But if you take a closer look, you try and eat from it or anything like that. I mean, you, you, put, in, put, in, you put in nasty into your body. Um, and that's what the Pharisees were. Is they, they had that inward, you know, dirty dirtiness um, and outwardly they appeared clean but inwardly they were not um, and so Jesus obviously here it's more important to have a clean dish on the inside than on the outside because if the outside's dirty you're not going to necessarily be eating what's on the outside of the dish you're going to eat what's on the inside um, so that's the analogy he used there um, so whitewashed tombs I want to talk about a little bit um, just because I want to clarify what he means by it. So whitewashed tombs, the Jews used to paint the tombs white because it was part of the law that you couldn't touch you know, a dead body or dead bones. You'd become unclean. And so they would paint the tombs white so that Jews, they would be very, very visible so that people wouldn't accidentally go into them or go towards them or, and make themselves unclean by accident. So they would make them very, very um, obvious. So when they did that, it ended up making the tombs look really pretty. I mean, they had this really neat look to them. And, uh, but on the inside was decay and death and rot. And Jesus compares them, the Pharisees, to that. Um, you know, they, they, would, um, they would look very beautiful outwardly, but inwardly was defilement. Um, and that's, that's pretty severe. So that's, kinda, that's what the whitewashed tombs meant. And then... You know, a heavy consequence for their uh, 29 through 36. Um, you know, he says, You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, If we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So they're kind of saying, like, they're associating themselves and saying they would do something different, but the reality is they're not doing anything different. They actually have already crucified, like, John the Baptist. So, I mean, they're already... Or not crucified, I'm sorry. Um, but they, they already murdered John the Baptist. So um, at this point, you know, they are actually following in the exact footsteps of their forefathers, doing exactly what they did, even though they're looking there and they may verbally say, we're not going to do the same thing they did, but they are doing the exact same thing they did. Um, so Jesus has some heavy consequences there, and these will be the people who end up murdering Christ himself. himself. Um, you know, some heavy words here, and... Uh, 
You know, people will go to any length to preserve their own self-righteousness. They'll go to great strides to preserve their own pride and dignity, um, even though, you know, at least outwardly, at least the appearance of dignity and the appearance of self-righteousness, how difficult it is to admit one's pride and humble yourselves before God. And um, So let's take that this morning as a lesson to ourselves that it is hard to admit pride. You know, and I'm sure certainly we can have pride in some areas and be humble in others. So, um, you know, I I can tell you pride, I see it quite a bit um, in what I do. And pride is a a leading factor in a lot of the issues that we have today. Um, People not willing to acknowledge their problems, people not willing to acknowledge um, their wrongdoing. Um, You know, from myself, from my personal experience, I've I see a lot of times in like domestic situations, people um, will call 911, and I would, I would guess 30 to 40% of the time, the person that calls 911 is the one who has to go to jail. And it's because they, sit, they call 911 thinking that they were justified in the acts that they committed. And the reality is that's because they have this level of belief that, oh, I'm entitled to do this, I'm entitled to whatever, I'm not going to get too much into that, um, but I'm entitled to commit this act, right? Um, and so they call 911 thinking they were justified in their actions, and the reality is they are actually the one who's at fault um, for everything. And You know, that's a, that is a, that's a sad reality, but even in our lives, sometimes it's hard to admit that we're wrong. In our lives, it's really difficult to admit that, yeah, my pride's in the way of Jesus. Um, and frankly, that's a daily struggle for me. That's a daily thing to get up and say, God, you're first, not me. God, you're first, not me. Lord, you know, I know that you want me to read my word. I want You want me to pray. Um, when I go to work, I need to focus on you and um, try and take every opportunity I can to share the word. But, you know, sometimes I get caught up and, okay, I just need to get done with this person so I can go deal with the next issue. Or, um, you know, let me just finish this task and, oh, someone's talking to me, but I have this job to do, so let me just do this job and ignore this person because this is what I have to do. When the reality is God may be calling you to talk to that person, you know, and put a little work later into that job. Um, even though it may make your life a little more difficult, maybe you lead someone to the kingdom of God. Because ultimately our purpose in this world, our purpose here as followers of Jesus, is to bring people to know Jesus. It's to simply, it's, it's a really... You know, there's so much in Scripture. I mean, this is a really big book to, to read and to understand, but it's because God wants us to understand what He cares about. And uh, the, it all kind of comes down to a simple act of faith in our lives and a simple command, and that's to make other follower, others, to lead others to follow Jesus, to make others followers of Jesus. To, the simple command that we really have to do is go and make disciples of all nations. You know, whether that be here in Athens where your job is or... You know, to actually go on mission trips and go afar. Um, the simple reality of, is, you know, in humbling yourself before God, you recognize that His command is greater than your own desires. His command is greater than your responsibilities, you know, your earthly responsibilities. Um, His command comes before everything. And when you humble yourselves in such a way, you recognize that His command is more important and His command is to love people and to bring them to the entrance of the kingdom of God. And, reveal that to them so that they can walk through. Um, Not saying that it's our job to push them through because that's not possible. But we need to give every opportunity to those that we meet. We need to bring every opportunity for them to enter the kingdom of God.
Um, that's about that's how you humble yourself, is to put yourself below other people and to say, this is the experience God's shown me. This is what God's shown me. This is the person God has turned me into or kept me from. And I use that a lot because I know, you know, I know my sinful tendencies. So I know a good. I have a pretty good idea if that if I didn't meet Jesus when I did, I kind of have a pretty good idea of who I would be today. And that's a scary person. Uh, that's not a, not a very good person. So you can take those those experiences and those realities and share them with people who are in the same similar situations, or maybe not even similar situations, but use your personal experience of uh, of redemption for other people to, to know the power of Jesus um, and reveal that narrow path to Christ. Um, so this morning, um, in closing, I'll just say one last thing. Let's humble ourselves before God and lay aside our own self-admiration. Um, our work is not to elevate ourselves into the kingdom of God, to gain more authority or to earn a higher position in God's kingdom. Our work is simply to lead others to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great love. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for the forgiveness that you offer us, the grace that you've given us, because we all fall short of you. We all fall short of earning the kingdom of God. Lord, we know that's not possible because we are sinners. And God, I come before you this morning and I acknowledge that. I know I'd be a pretty bad person. Uh, I'd be a pretty evil person um, if I didn't know you. And Lord, you saved me from so much. And God, I just pray that helping me to see who I might be um, in the future if you hadn't saved me would help motivate me to help others know you. So God, I pray for us this morning that we would lay aside our own desires, our own self-righteousness, our own desire to edify ourselves through our works. That we would lay those aside, lay those on the altar before you and sacrifice them. And that all our works, all our thought, all our lives would be bent on bringing others to know you and glorifying your name, God. Because that is the ultimate way to honor you, is to bring more people to honor you. God, your way is so good. Your way is so much higher than ours. So God, I just pray that this morning you would help us to lay down all the things that hinder us. Reveal them to us each day. and Help us to walk humbly before you um, under your banner of Christ. And help us to follow hard after Jesus. Um, help us to love one another as brothers. To acknowledge you as our teacher and as our God and as our Savior. Um, to help us to do that. Help us to do that daily. And to, um, Lord, I pray that you would... Help keep us from the teachings of the Pharisees. And I don't mean the Pharisees of the time that Jesus lived, but the, maybe the false teachers of those who live today. Lord, guard our hearts and guard our minds from the lies that either the evil one may bring to us or false teachers may bring to us, Lord. Help us to observe the Scriptures and read Your truth daily so that we know what is true, what is right, and what is pleasing to You. God, be our everything. Help us to follow hard after you. Lord, I just pray this morning during this open time where we honor you, God, that you would um, break our hearts before you and help us to honor Jesus and the sacrifice that he he made on the cross um, that brings us into fellowship with you and opens up the kingdom of heaven for us. And Lord, I pray that we would bring your kingdom here on this earth today um, and each day that we live. God, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you so much for how good you are. Um, We thank you that these words were directed at the Pharisees and not at your disciples. And we pray that um, 
these words would never be directed at us, um, but we would learn from them and avoid reaching a point where we require such instruction. Um, God, we love you. We praise you and give you the glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.